child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, "I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you." Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. This is the podcast that features the open-minded, hopefully open-minded musings of two late 40s curmudgeons as we boldly stare down the imminence of our entertainment irrelevance. I am your co-host, Noah Tarno, founder and senior quiz master of The Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show spectacular, and I apologize in advance, I am suffering from... Don't think it's COVID, Bill. But yeah. I got the flu, cold, something. So my voice is unusually Kathleen Turner like. Do you, do you have bo- do you have boobos on your uh, flesh? Uh, no, I do not have the black plague. Hopefully, okay. All right. I do not have rickets. I do not have scurvy. I've told you the story about the book I wrote about scurvy, right? I don't believe you have. But it's let us let us all hear about it, it though. It's from the the early days of googling, right? I googled my name. So this is like twenty years ago, longer. I Googled my name and I found some guy had written some article about the voyages of Captain Cook, which is uh, where they first discovered that sucking on limes or their citrus fruits warded off scurvy. And I had written a paper about this in college, a two-page paper for my science of diseases class I had to take. I had to take one science class to graduate. And the professor put it on the class website, my two-page paper about scurvy, and someone cited the paper as a source in his encyclopedia article. So back then, if you Googled my name, you found this article, and it looked like I had written a book about scurvy. Wow, you're learning scurvy yeah. by Noah Tarno, Carlton College, 1997. Anyway, so yes, I arguably wrote a book about scurvy. <clears throat> I'm your scurvy expert. Uh, with me, as always, my co-host, my friend, way out there in Amsterdam, damn, damn, the Netherlands, lands, lands. Say hello, sir. Yes, I'm Bill Scurvy, the founder and proprietor of something called American Caesar Enterprises, uh, which, speaking of science, by the way, is a new species of chemotrophic bacteria living in the lightless parts of the ocean in the Challenger Deep along a volcanic vent, surviving solely on the simplest peptides capable of sustaining life emitted from a crack in the earth at crush depth. Okay, you say this is a new species. Yes. Is it newly created by... Science or is it newly discovered? Yeah, newly discovered. Yeah, sure. Oh, I see. It's been around for millions of years. Oh, yeah, yeah, easily. Sure, they got all that stuff. They got all that shit, tough guy. So the fact that it's out there and we discovered it, is this bad news climate-wise or is this good news or is this... I think it's more that American Caesar Enterprises represents the miracle of life and that even at crush depth, uh, you know, in this, I think it's called the benthic zone, the very bottom of the ocean. Right, I know. Ask Aquaman, he would know. Even life could survive there on right. the on the merest of ingredients, you know. Life finds a way. Yes, I learned that from Jurassic Park, from yeah. Planet of the Apes, from Jeff Bridges and Jurassic Park, from Jeff Bridges and um, Charlton Heston, and Nash Bridges and Jurassic Park, and Nash Bridges and uh, Alicia Bridges, who loves the night like she likes to boogie. Nash Bridges and his father Lloyd, <laughs> and they're yes, and Bo and all them. Okay, anyway, so. Uh, today's topic, and even though I'm sick of doing the intro because this was basically my idea, although a few of our fans, friends, helpers suggested it, uh, we're looking at a TV show. We're back to the boob tube. Uh, 
a show that is on the lips of many because its fourth and final season premieres probably the same day that this episode will drop tomorrow from our time. It is today, Saturday, March 25th, 2023. And the show is called Succession. And it is on the HBO network, Home Box Office. Is that officially what it still stands for? Or is it um, one of these things where it's just HBO? Is it like KFC? No, it must. I mean, uh, I think KFC that... went back to Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, I, I don't think they're trying A&E to. A&E no longer stands for Arts and Entertainment. And NAACP doesn't stand for anything. And you can guess what. You think it's just, yeah. Well, I think that HBO, I'm sure that they're not. Um, they like those three letters, I would assume, because it's great brand. Yeah. Whether uh, it still branding, stands for yeah. Home Box Office. It's still called that technically when you look at the indicia at the end of an episode. You know? Really? Yeah. So technically it is home box office. Absolutely. So this is available on your home box office. Succession is a satirical black comedy slash drama, uh, comma, uh, on HBO, created by Jesse Armstrong, who is a British showrunner. Uh, he is noted for many several British shows that I hadn't heard of. But the one thing I was familiar with that he did before this was he was co-writer on the 2009 movie In the Loop, Armando Iannucci, the Veep guy. Yeah, I'm not an Armando Iannucci guy. I feel like, yeah, everyone's like, oh, this will be your favorite thing. This will be your favorite thing. I watched a few episodes of Veep. I watched In the Loop. It didn't do it for me. But, you know, there's still talent there. And um, Armstrong, I believe, was nominated for an Oscar for co-writing In the Loop but didn't win or nominated for something. Anyway, it got him enough attention that HBO let him do Succession, that premiered in 18, and it is now, as I said, about to start its fifth and, as he said, fourth, rather, and final season, uh, set to premiere tomorrow. Uh, Succession is the story of the Roy family, who are the owners of Waystar Royco, a global media and entertainment conglomerate, and the founder of Waystar Royco, the patriarch Logan Roy, in the first episode he turns 80, He's a fabulously wealthy billionaire, and his um, children are vying for control as they see his imminent retirement slash death. And um, there's a lot of backstabbing, a lot of front stabbing, a lot of machinations uh, with a comedy angle. And of course, people believe, and I don't think it's very controversial, although it's interesting, this is never mentioned on the Wikipedia page about the show. This is a fictionalization of the Murdoch family, the Rupert Murdoch family. Fox News, all that. Um, Waystar Royco's uh, most high-profile uh, property is something called ATN, which is clearly a fictionalized version of Fox News. There's a fictionalized version of Tucker Carlson on the show. You know, they play with that stuff. Uh, the cast is really good. Uh, Logan Roy is played by Brian Cox, who was mainly in his career a stage actor, but I most knew him for... The first person to play Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, that movie movie Man- kills, man. It's awesome. Manhunter. Who directed that? Someone big, right? Michael Mann. Michael Mann directed that. It's terrific. He, it's basically an early version of Silence of the Lambs. He's really good and really creepy as Hannibal Lecter. And this is going back 35 years. Uh, most of the rest of the cast I hadn't heard of before. But there is Alan Ruck, who we all know as Cameron, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He is the oldest son, the most detached from the business. Uh, and then the biggest fuck-up son is Kieran Culkin, who I only knew from the little brother and father of the bride movies. And here he is playing a very different character. And he's 40 years old as well, just about. That's crazy I, to think I'm that. Not you know? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Smaller parts, people I've heard. I'm just going to list people I've heard of. Jay Smith Cameron, 
wonderful actress. She was on Broadway a lot uh, when I lived in New York. Uh, David Rash, who was Sledgehammer. Remember Sledgehammer? Yeah. It's so, it's so funny he's got this back-end career because he, too, is a theater guy going way back. Yeah, but sure. People, there's a whole generation of people known for that screwball comedy on ABC in the 80s. Uh, well, guys like us, we were the target audience for its, you know, it's half a season or whatever. And uh, Fisher Stevens, who was uh, the white guy playing an Indian guy in Short Circuit. Um, but... The other actors, every actor is tremendous. And, and two actors who I wasn't familiar with before this, uh, Jeremy Strong, who plays Kendall, uh, probably the most central character other than Logan, one of the sons, and uh, Matthew McFadden, who plays the boyfriend, later husband of Siobhan, uh, Logan Roy's only um, daughter. Uh, they both received Primetime Emmy Awards for their performances. Uh, and Armstrong got three wins for outstanding writing for a drama series. Uh, Jeremy Strong, as good as he is, has been criticized. There's been some sniping in the press that he is an obsessive method actor. And Brian Cox even criticized that. But the latest thing I read said they've, they've mended fences. So who knows? Uh, so I, I came to Bill with this idea because I've watched every episode, mostly at the gym, a few months ago, all three seasons. And I'm excited for the new season. So I'm previewing what I think about it. But everyone was talking about it, and especially when I'm sick, I'm like, oh, here's an easy topic for me because I've already seen every episode. But I did spend yesterday rewatching a few of uh, what I thought were the critical or best episodes. And hey, I'm on it tomorrow night, man. Got, oh, my, so got I, my HBO login. I, did, I, I stole didn't know from that, you. I didn't know that you blasted through it. I thought that you were watching it um, as it was being no, aired. I blasted ah. through it, my friend. I was... I finished it probably a few months ago, um, so it was nice to do a refresher. Well, what's, uh, how come you didn't get hooked to when it came out in 18 or whatever in the first place? I don't know, you know, whatever. Because I, I didn't get hooked. Oh, I okay. I mean, it's what? I, I, I'm not an Alan Ruck obsessive. I mean, I don't jump on everything. <laughs> that. I, wow, that guy was so good as Hannibal Lecter in a movie 35 years ago. I'm going to watch anything he does. I didn't have that attitude. It just didn't – I had heard the name. I would get it mixed up with um, – What's the show? What's the show with, uh, God, I was just talking about the other day. Severance. I'd hear about Severance and Succession. And I'm like, oh, these are shows. And I haven't seen Severance at all. And for some reason, I'm like, I was, I remember, I go to the gym. I'm like, oh, I'll try Succession. I'll try one of these shows. And half the time, i like one episode and done. But this one was like, no, I'll keep going. And I kept going. And, uh, but Bill, what did you think? I mean, how much did you watch? And right. what did you think? Well, I, um, this is a Sunday at 9 on HBO show, which, you know, we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago with um, The Last of Us. And, you know, that's that's a pretty important thing for us. I mean, that's a brand in and of itself. HBO is one thing, but HBO has a lot of shows that we don't watch. I could say that safely. I probably watched two or three episodes of Arliss. I don't know how many episodes of Jeez. Ballers I've watched, you know, but I'm just saying it's like that particular um, catbird seed of the, of the Sunday at 9 is really important. Because I think that's really kind of been where the stop and start, the Alpha and Omega. It's, it's venerable at this point because that was yeah. Sopranos, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, but Sopranos started it. But even when Sopranos was in the season, whatever was the seat warmer for Sopranos at the time, that's where your uh, Six Feet Unders of the world, your Deadwoods, those things would come out around the same time. Now it's pronounced your Deadswood. And Sixes Feet Under? Yes. You're yeah. Seven Feet Under if you want to play. That's true. You want to be the plural of six is definitely seven. Yeah, plural of six. <laughs> Two sixes is, is a seven, as we know. Plural, yes, it's, it's. Listen uh, to me, kids. Don't listen to your teacher. Well, I was ready for this when it came out back in eighteen, um, and the the show that it led the the show that let it in was Westworld. I think it was Westworld season uh, 
one or two. See, there's a show I tried the first episode and I'm like, I'm fucking done. Yeah, Westworld was, was difficult. I watched, I want to say at least two, if not three seasons of Westworld. I watched three seasons of Westworld. I think there, no, there, I think there was a fourth. They were going to go into it, but they can't. Yeah, anyway, whatever. But the point is, is that the, the thing about HBO shows is that they run a gigantic release so that when one ends, another huge showboat is coming right behind it. They, they tease the shit out of it so that, you know, Game of Thrones ends, the, you know, uh, House of the Dragon, and then, you know, The Last of Us picks up on the next week. And it's really convenient. And they more or less have the entire year blocked out with these really pre- these prestige dramas that show up there an hour long. So I watched um, Succession first episode back in 18. It was directed by Adam McKay. It was produced by Gary right. Sanchez. Uh, I had a, I had the impression it was going to be The Inheritor to Veep, which I believe was coming to a close around that same time too. Now I am yeah, a Veep guy. Such a different type of comedy. Well, such a different type the of comedy. trailers didn't convey that. The trailers, especially because Jesse uh, Jesse Armstrong was an Iannucci co-worker. And I, he worked right. on not just uh, In the Loop, but The Thick of It, the British TV show that with, uh, with right. Peter, Peter Capaldi. Uh, he came out of that tradition of fast talking political send up with a very you know a British razor blade you know in there, um, so I really did not like the first episode and it wow. it, it was difficult to um, sit through something that had all these. First of all, if my impression was that it was going to be like Veep, like Peter Capaldi, and it wasn't because it was much darker and it was a lot more. I, I want to say not serious, but it was grave. It was it was way yeah. more. It's sluggy. not. It's not. Uh, Iannucci stuff has this wacky element. Yeah, to it. and that's it's what not I, here. Yeah. I really Iannucci is like is almost like Marx Brothers compared to this, and you know a I, little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the Veep Veep. I think next to some of the stuff that Tina Fey did with Robert Carlock on on Thirty Rock, you talk about the density and the sort of acuity, of the joke. That's just few humans on earth have that kind of speed in terms of just being able to put together comedy like that. And I, I was set up to think that this was going to be that, but Jesse Armstrong had a different idea. So the first hour of it, I got the impression it's like, oh, these people are all terrible. Uh, and, you know, there's really, they're all humans because they're fantastic actors. The show is cast very well. So there isn't, there isn't a single person that comes across as a character, a broad caricature. They may act broad and do characterist things, but there are very, you know, psychologically acute performances in there. I dropped it, did not go to it again after the first episode. I knew very much I didn't like it. And then, of course, as it rolls on and on and on, um, it does become this institution where, you know, I mean, no, we talk about this on the routine that everybody we know watches it. And it's it's a, it's a sort of coastal media bubble where it's really beloved by a few people. But then it winds up honestly being watched by a fraction of who watches Yellowstone, right. you know, yeah, something exactly. really strange like that. Yeah. Blue uh, Bloods. There's no no one's yeah. talking about Blue Bloods. It doesn't still, it doesn't you know, do it's no- better than. Bigger than every HBO show. It doesn't up. do numbers like, yeah, Blue Bloods, Steven Sharippa, starring Steven Sharippa, Blue Bloods. Starring Steven Sharippa. What was the show that used to be on that every, oh, Jag. Jag yeah, was apparently was like there were 10 Jags, Jags and each one had like two thirds of the country watched every episode yeah. or something. So I, when, when we were doing this, I'm like, oh, fuck. Uh, you know, there's just so much stuff to catch up on. Three, I guess it's already 30 episodes out. They're going to do another 10. And so I asked you, it's like, well, what should I clear for the purpose of doing a discussion? You said the first six of, of season one. I'm like, OK. Well, I, I first I said the first couple episodes, but then I remembered that. And I rewatched episode six of season one, which has yeah, yeah. a real pivotal. Mo- did yeah, you watch yeah. that? I did. I got. I got. So I didn't. I didn't rewatch one because, of course, they recap at the beginning. Okay, yeah. Watch. Yeah. So it. I watched two, three, four, five, and six, and I, you know, I was like, I, I. Now I understand what I'm looking at. I don't like it any better than I did when I watched it, just because ah. it's it's so it's so hard to spend time with these immoral human beings 
who are just being bad to each other without the leavening agent of having Armando Iannucci sort of goofy humor, thinking that this is like Kirby enthusiasm, something like this is a world I'm entering, but it's clearly a fictional world. Now, one of the reasons that's why it's hard to sort of wash this off my shirt once it splashes on me is because this really is it makes me think of News Corp. You know, this is this is it's not. Mur- oh, yes. No, I know. But it's not Murdoch one to one because it's also heavily Lear inflected. You know, this is one of the countless Yellowstone is also a Lear narrative at the same time. People, you know, the kids fighting for the soul of this giant company and the old man who maybe can do the job, maybe can't. But he has to sort of fend off uh, his children from eating his empire alive while he's still there. He doesn't want to get buried in the ground before he's dead. You know, that's the Logan Roy situation, too. The problem is, is that. You can't you can't do a send up of Murdoch. Murdoch is one. Murdoch is a war criminal. Murdoch is poisoning the planet we live on as we speak yeah. now. And this is like why the Alec Baldwin impression of Trump was never funny. It's because there's nothing funny about it. There's yeah. nothing to send yeah. up. And it's hard, I, it's hard to laugh at something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the and it's like I see what you mean. Like any, especially just in the last week, Murdoch got married to like wife number twelve. You know, it's and he's and he's the, all the deposition stuff has come out in the Dominion suit. It's like it continues to be the world's worst nightmare, and yet he's they still own all those. They still own the Sky Networks in UK. Yeah, he still has this gigantic presence in Sydney. They still own the New York Post. They fucking own the Times of London. They own the Wall Street Journal. The the I, you know, I'm I, I don't want to go on and on about News Corp, but it's really hard for me to just to look how horrible these people are and get some sort of like sick demented joy out of watching these actors you know cut each other with sharpened toothbrushes in the prison courtyard when you know you're living in the very real wages of what they're doing all around us and the fact that they completely changed the media landscape and are going to kill us all eventually with misinformation but you know it's like i can't argue all the reasons you like this are valid reasons you know cox like you said is a stage guy he's at the top of his craft you know this. Oh, re- he's so good. He's he, so. He really good. is. You know, he's he's experiencing a renaissance right now because he's been at this for a long time, and he came up with all these old English lions. You know, he's friends with Patrick Stewart and and um, Ian McKellen, and you know, these are all uh, Michael Gambon. These were all colleagues that he you know he grew up with these guys. Yeah, you know, essentially on stage in the in the the, the hermetic world of Shakespeare and the highest level of Rada and stuff like that. So you know, he's every bit you get everything you pay for with this guy. And yeah, you know, your point of that, they also brought in, they cast with actors you didn't know, like, uh, what's her name? Sarah, um, Sarah Snook is coming from Sarah Sydney. Snook, yeah. yeah, I think she's she came out, she's from someplace else in Australia, but this is more or less her first um, um, American work. She does, I didn't realize she was Australian, her American accent. Yeah, it's really good. good. It's really good. She, but she looks like Gretchen Brennison, don't you think? Uh, actually, that's yeah, true. She looks exactly like Gretchen Brennison. But Gretchen Brennison is a woman we know. She used to DJ for music like, director for the. Yeah, thing. you know, it's like she's doing incredible work. And again, they brought in somebody who could do the job rather than somebody who could say it wasn't Jessica Chastain or somebody with a name. It was another actor. The same thing with um, uh, Matthew McFadden, who worked with Armstrong and all those other shows. He was a, a wholly British actor to bring in to play Tom mm-hmm. Wamsgans. And it's like he wanted the right guy for the job rather than somebody yeah. who was going to kid it out with somebody who's already a B-lister or an A-lister. Right. You know, they, they fit with the right actor instead. That's laudable. And it, for a show like this with such a deep cast to get all of a sudden, it's like you, you're you seeing on the regular, Jace, Jace, what is it, Jay Smith Cameron? 
J. Scott yeah. Cameron. Uh, yeah, you know, who she too is one of the like, reigning queens of Broadway. She's been at it for a long time. This is a real a real New York show. You know, like it's made at Silver Cup, which I love. And, it, you know, it, all these people go back and forth between the state. David Rashi is a stage guy. Um, yeah, I, I Fisher Stevens, too. You know, these guys, are they all live in New York and they all work on the stage. And you don't see too many shows with this much uh, uh, diesel under the hood. So right. it's, it's but, really, but yeah. it didn't do it for you, is what you're no, saying. No, it's just, it's too. Ah. And I, I, I was trying to come up with, you know, other than the, the King Lear thing or whatever, and we talked about Yellowstone, like I said. But I was also thinking, oh, this is almost like a show full of Pete Campbell's. It's if everyone was Pete Campbell, but there's no John Slattery and there's no Don Draper to kind of put a moral backbone. Everyone is just the sort of human weasel constantly yeah. scrabbling for every little dollar they can get. And no one is giving any sort of empathy or humanity, you know? I mean, look, the proof is in the pudding that I love the show and I kept coming back. Yeah, there's no good person here. I mean, maybe if I thought of some of the B-list characters, you know, and some are definitely better than others, but they're all different shades of evil. Logan is awful, obviously. Um, Kendall is the sympathetic one because he's an addict. He's an addict. I don't want to give him too much away, but there's a crisis in the first season that really brings him low and, and sticks with him and leads to a very good finale. Uh, you know, kind of climaxes with the last episode we saw, the finale of uh, season three. I, I think you're you're painting them all with the same broad brush, and they are they are variants of bad people, and they all have some level of humanity. You know, even Logan, who's a terrible person, like you see his emotions there, this, in his own demented, twisted way, he loves his children. I hope I made that clear. By the way, I, I I'm not. That's the the hard part is that it's even harder to watch because they're all so good at being human. That's. They but but that's fully, my point. You yeah. said there's there's no moral backbone, and maybe there's not one person who's the moral backbone. You know, compare it again to The Sopranos. There's there's no um, Doctor Melfi, but the moral backbone is is spread out among different characters in in in, in small bits. Yeah, but no one ever does the right thing. Everyone just tries to fuck everyone around them as badly as possible. I think some people try to do the right thing. I mean, whatever. Maybe if you watch more, you change your mind. Uh, I also think. It's hard to laugh. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I have a lot of trouble with any Trump jokes now because it's hard to laugh at something that's such a constant and, you know, terrifying danger. But that's why I think this works. If it had the wacky tone of an In the Loop or Veep, I think it wouldn't work. But the humor is black comedy, which is a variety of humor that keeps those things in mind. And it is it is spread out in such a way in such a method that it, it works with the central drama of these are terrible, awful people in a specific and relatable, terrible, awful way. So that's my response to what you said. I, I think the show, obviously, as I made it clear, I think it's dynamite. I think the plot is fantastic. The constant twists and turns and backstabbing always keep you guessing. But everything is clear and easy to follow. And even for like a business idiot like me, you know, you're you're able to yeah, they do, follow they the don't path. They don't bury of, you in details at right. all. Who's yeah. who's doing what and why? Even though three seasons in, how many times has Kendall tried to depose Logan? And there's a quote here from uh, an article NPR.org, I guess, that really stuck with me. I'm going to quote: "Succession can look like it's stuck in a loop, but the way this conflict between Logan and his three youngest kids changes in shape, but never in result, served to establish the show's." the show's central truth. Logan always wins. And that's a lot of the reason people are excited for this season that has been you know, openly said to be the last. Is Logan finally going to lose? If he wins, what is that? Uh, you know, again, 
is that, you know, an unsatisfying ending? I don't know. I'm eager to find out. I think the show has great, um, I mean, you, you could speak more to this than me, but great cinematography. Yeah, no, it looks, it looks like a million bucks. That's obvious. The, yeah. the camera guides your eye. Someone will say an important line, there'll be the sudden close-up of reaction. I mean, I feel like that's something out of the office, but they do it without the shaky cam and really make it work. Uh, there's a The theme song is this piano song, and the motif of the piano kind of threads through every episode, and I think in a very artful and sometimes sad, like beautifully sad way. Um, yes, they're all terrible people, but I think the show nails the perfidy and obnoxiousness of the elite. The fact that these people are in their own little billionaire bubble, they're playing both sides. You know, they make it clear that, yes, they had ATN, a.k.a. Fox News, and a big, uh, uh, one kid calls it the bigot spigot. Like, we're going to push out bigotry, and that's going to make money for us, Right. Which I think gets at something we all believe is like Rupert Murdoch, the people who run these things, even getting down to people like Hannity and Carlson or whoever, they're not actually, they don't actually believe in this stuff wholeheartedly. I mean, this is sort of what I think about Trump. Like, I think it's fair to call him a racist and all these things, but for them, it's just a fucking game because they live in their billionaire's bubble. Uh, it's interesting that Shaban, the one daughter, is, at least in the show begins, she's a, she's a democratic political operative. But, you know, she'll still play the fucking game because she's lived in her billionaire bubble all her life. And the acting is tremendous. It's just tremendous. Um, there's maybe a moment, maybe the best ensemble in TV. In, in, yeah. Next to maybe uh, Better Call Saul. I am surrounded by snakes and fucking morons. He did not fire me. He said it was just going to take a little longer. What I think he meant to say was that he wished that mom gave birth to a can opener because at least then it would be useful. No, and tell me, why is this show popular? This is a great example. We say this a lot about TV, which I like. Great example of, you know, quality winning out. People being drawn to something that's engaging and, you know, well done. And that, that always makes me feel good. But we as Americans, we love this shit. You know, we always wish we had our own royal family. I mean, when we were kids, it was all about the Kennedys, right? They talked about the Kennedys as American royalty. And we're celebrity worshipers. I've always said, I say this in my business all the time, the most powerful force in marketing is celebrity. Hey, I know that guy is the number one enticement to do or pay attention to something. But at the same time that we're all ass kissers and we crave influence and celebrity and power, we love to take these people down a peg. So there's something very appealing about seeing these elite, these people in their billionaire bubble, their massive amounts of influence, seeing that they are terrible people, that they can't count on their own family, that they're miserable people, right? Um, I think there's something very satisfying about that because we love them, but we hate them. I guess that's some jealousy thing there, right? And I think this show nails that peculiar American dichotomy like nothing else I can think of. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, uh, yeah, aside from all the stuff at the top in terms of like the position it's in, it's HBO is telling, HBO gives you good shows because you expect good shows from HBO and this is one of those shows. Yeah, whatever. That, that's that's uh, uh, you know, prima facie. Now, I think we drill down deeper uh, and to add a little wrinkle to what you said, I think people like witnessing this terribly libidinous and you know injurious and immoral behavior of the Roy's and that absolute inhumanity that they display. Uh, and I would not say necessarily royal family, but I would actually think of two other families, the Borgias and the Barberinis. 
In, ter- right. in terms of terrible, terrible groups of people who not just run offices, but they're also in charge of a papacy, for instance. You know, there's just right. a gigantic cross-disciplinary thing where they control almost all aspects. However, you know, is, is my hypothesis is, is that even as people, they want to watch a Lansing of the Murdoch family done, done by a proxy, um, they're, 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 and going back to what you're saying in terms of how lush the photography is how great the set design how great the costumes are the people look like he says that you're superheroes except you don't wear a stupid cape you get to be dressed in armani you know like that's what yeah. the the beauty of being great, rich tom great line tom wong is yeah it's just that's the thing about that's the thing about being rich it's fucking awesome it's fucking awesome yeah they're they're, they're yeah. eating you're eating ortolan and putting a napkin over oh, their head Jesus. in the first first season are you are you let me sorry are you ever curious about eating is it pronounced ortolan yeah, I, I think it is. You ever, says, you ever wanted to do that? He says, it's a, he says it's a delicacy, and I think it's kind of illegal. <laughs> I think it's the actual quote. Uh, I might be. Anyway, those who don't know, yeah. the show in the show, there's a there's French rare delicacy, these little songbirds. I think they're songbirds. These little birds, and they are drowned in ammoniac. So they're married. That's how they die, and then their feathers are plucked, and then they're cooked and eaten Whole. And the idea is the bo- start- the bones are so immaterial, it's almost like a, yeah. cr- a rice cracker or something like that. Right. You spit out the big bones, and traditionally you, you put a towel or a napkin over your head while you eat it. And some say it's to, to you know, do better absorb the flavors, and others say it's to hide your shit. Hide your face, yeah. It's so, a pretty, you know, pretty precious foodie thing. So, but again, if, if what Noah just said is any uh, indication, I think there actually is something aspirational about all the power and wealth that's on display in this very handsome show. And that you are, it's, 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 it's smacking your hand and saying naughty, naughty boy for liking this stuff. And then it's showing you a little, a little leg and inviting you to like into the, it's like, Oh, it's so bad that, you know, um, Kendall is in his private jet flying back from someplace as he's getting bad news. And it's like, that's a pretty good place to be and a nice thing to wear. And a, I, I wouldn't, know. I wouldn't want it. You would want to be them. I wouldn't want to be them. Uh, I, well, there's no what's what's the consequence or any of it you it's, it's the like, consequence is you can't trust anyone you can't trust your your siblings you can't trust your parents that doesn't seem to bother I, roman that doesn't seem to bother kendall i mean yes, i think they, it really li- does i think are, they're fucked up they're fucked I mean, up my, my dad's a little imperious but if he were like logan roy they're I mean, fucked up but i don't think anybody is aware of how fucked up they actually are that's up for us to decide you lack killer instinct. You're wet. You're green. You're intellectually insecure. You're not emotionally Bullshit. strong enough. You nope. have addiction Wait, issues. That, that's enough. I'm not saying I would make a better CEO. That's unsaid. It's not unsaid when you say it. Bill, if you were younger, I mean, this is one of these topics that isn't necessarily hot among the kids. You know, maybe more hot among people our age. But I don't know. I would say 10 years younger. Is there anything about the show that means you would like it more if you were a young man now? Um, and not I, an old, not an old, desiccated, decrepit yeah. hag like me. I look like Logan Roy's prostate. That's how old Pretty I am. Pretty much at this point. Uh, yeah. No, actually, I'm going to kick it back to being younger because the first thing I thought of was the look of this show, in spite of it being uh, old man nip. You know, uh, th- th- it looks very much like the kind of stultifying adult-run dramas that, uh, as a kid, I just immediately looked at and said, "This is not for me." And I might have, I might have said that up until the teen years too. Like that kind of stuff just was not interesting. You know, it was not part of my media diet. Is to look at something, uh, not necessarily as soapy as Dynasty and Falcon Crest, but you know, like what what my parents used to watch because my mom used to watch Dallas when we were younger, 
And then apparently, you know, Cagney and Lacey would show up on TV. You know, TV looked a lot different, but there was still the idea that this stuff is not frivolous. This stuff is drab. This stuff is adults. This is, uh, what is it, Bruce White's on Hill Street Blues, <laughs> Daniel J. Travanti. You know, it's yeah. like, and they may have been good shows, but it's clear that there's an age demarcation. That's, of course, when TV was designed for old people, and it, it looked it, because everybody on TV was old, and there were no young people other than a few venues here and there. And so, you know, to have grown up in that environment where it's like, it's definitely exclusionary, where it's like you have cartoons and, you know, uh, uh, toy commercials and things like that until you graduate to TV for adult, you know, for adult people. You know, I, I don't know, man. When I was little, I was into Happy Days and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah, I but it's, sitcoms were for kids. Sitcoms were for kids, but there's a difference between the half-hour sitcom uh, you know, like Happy Days was the inheritor of a Gilligan's Island or something like that. That was fair territory. You know, Batman was the furthest out. That was like a living cartoon. Um, but the jump between that and St. Elsewhere, the jump between that and the hour-long drama. And again, it's like I would not have been able to pick out the curly cues of this that would have made it entertaining in the different ways that, you know, 30-something was entertaining. I'm sure that was a great show back in 1988, you know. But there's no way I was ever going to watch it because it clearly... Was not it wasn't wasn't a safe space for us to watch because there's nothing to enjoy. It wasn't Bugs Bunny slamming no uh, Wiley Cuddy slamming into a cliff face because you, it was a Trump lawyer uh, tunnel painted on it. You, you don't you don't remember the Bugs Bunny thirty something crossover? <laughs> they all, sweep sweep. They took stock. Remember when? You remember when Marvin the Martian was on China Beach that week? China Beach. <laughs> uh yeah. I mean, I, I see what you mean. Like if I were younger, if I were a kid. I wouldn't watch this because it would look like 30-something. It would be adults doing adult things. And then again, when I got to my teenage years, I got into L.A. law, right? Oh, that's weird. So okay. I could appreciate some of that soapy stuff. But I still think I would have liked this a little less because, you know, I have dipped my t- – I, despite calling myself a business idiot, you know, being harsh on myself, the fact is I run a very, very small business and somehow it's still alive. So I know a little about business. And obviously I'm a grown-up. Um, and I, you know, in my twenties, I, I, I was on the ultra, ultra fringes of the celebrity world. So I had a little more experience with that kind of stuff, a little more insight into it. So that makes what's going on between these characters a little more, I don't want to say relatable, but a little more understandable. Um, I think as a young man, and I think most men in this country, unfortunately, as young men, we are less able to appreciate how awful these people are. You know, you hear about how people idolize Tony Soprano and Don Draper and Walter White and all these like anti-heroes of TV. The Tony, Tony Montana, Scarface, you know. Tony Montana, or, you know, I mean, get off TV, the, the cops who idolize the Punisher, how disturbing that is. And I think there's a problem in this country with young men and unfortunately old men who are not you know, who are in a state of arrested development, idolizing bad people. And I'm sure there are some people out there who are idolizing Logan Roy. Why? Because he wins. That quote from NPR, he always wins. I mean, this is, unfortunately, the ton of people who idolize Donald Trump, who, and some of them even say he's a terrible person, but he's a winner, which he's not, but okay. Um, so I think while I wouldn't be that guy, I mean, God willing, I wouldn't be an incel screaming about how awful women are and all that. I think at least there'd be a part of me as a young man who wouldn't appreciate how awful 
Logan Roy is. Nice vest, Wamsgans. It's so puffy. Thank you, Roman. What's it stuffed with? Your hopes and dreams? I just think it's the best Tom, to do you need to shut up. This isn't the time to get your conscience out and shout, Hey, look at me. I cannot tell a lie. I'm a good little boy. Look at my ding-dong. Noah, tell me, is this show a sign of the apocalypse, even though it features the uh, harbinger of doom inside of the text? <laughs> uh, my, my first impulse is it's the opposite because it's quality and people loving it. And that's what we need to, you know, expand the human race to recognize good art and reward it. But I think there might be an apocalyptic element to this because... It perpetuates the idea, which there's a shit ton of truth to, that everyone in charge, everyone in the elite is an idiot and venal and corrupt and stupid and, you know, just they're all the same. They're bent, yes. And, and I think that creates an opening for chaos agent demigods. Not demigods, demagogues. I'm thinking demigods, yeah. demagogues. I think that's part of what's plaguing our country now is a lot of people, I mean, look, both sides are the same. I'll agree with you that both sides are corrupt. Both sides are the same, I think, is patently false. But it's easy to believe both sides are the same. Both sides are the same level of terrible. And then you open up to someone to just break the system. And I don't think that's the way to solve things at all. I think that's a very bad way to solve things. I think it's a way to ruin things. So maybe I'm reaching here, but I think this show might perpetuate the idea that everyone is terrible, right? Sure, everyone's terrible. Everyone's human. But, you know, it's, I don't know. I'm not as far left as some people I know, but I I think you got to fix things within the system. That's my belief. And this kind of perpetuates the idea that that is an impossibility. And I'm open to debating that, but that's what I believe. I could get down with that. I, I, I don't think this is a sign of the apocalypse. But, I mean, and you know, on its face, this is definitely an unflattering... Well, I'm reaching. I'm reaching. No, I hear you. No, I don't think you're wrong. I, this is an unflattering tilt at the 1%. There's no doubt about that. That's oh, well, <laughs> duh, yeah. Jesse Armstrong's intent is to do that. And I would, you know, the, the dark side, the dark side of the dark side, if it's possible, the obsidian side, the umber side, the burnt, uh, the burnt charcoal side, is that I would imagine that this show is watched by these people who think of it as a cool scorecard of like, oh, yeah, I eat at Cipriani. Oh, yeah, I have a jet out to out to Vail. Like I do these. So you, you think the one percent is watching this and enjoying it? I, I very much so, because this is their life. There's no indication. Yeah. I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, uh, conscious capitalists who are into the um, what's the idea that, that the three letter term of investment. Um, uh, people, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, what I'm talking uh, about. Yeah, no, you get it. You, you get it. So I'm saying I'm sure there are some people who that but only, oh, you know, like if you have billions, you know, generally, you're probably not a good person anymore. I'm sorry to say that if you have millions, you're probably it's probably tough to start calling you. You're on the verge of becoming a bad person along the way. Um, but it's like I think that this winds up being a checklist, you know, of, of people you all you see is Logan's victory. All you're seeing is the winning. Like the thing I was saying before. Yeah, these characters maybe are to us. They have horrible lives, but I don't think that's a Roman Roy. You know, as he's sitting there jerking off on the window in the office and, and wiping his his effluent away with a napkin, just because he's trying to like chill out and you know bring yeah. his pulse down. It's like I don't think he thinks any of this stuff is aberrant because he's never known anything but this. And right. I, I just think that there are so many people for whom you know their pleasure and their their billions and. You know, they think they're owed it. They think they're smarter than everybody else. They're a Peter Thiel. You know, like the reason why I have this stuff is because I'm smarter than you and it's my birthright. And I'm going to create a new new dynasty and an empire in my family. And they don't don't care that along the way, you know, vulnerable people might 
literally get stepped on. Logan, have you thought about the possibility that your children are actually scared of you? Oh, fuck off. After what they've done to me, fuck off. Bill, is there any aspect of this show and the success of succession, the success, the success of succession, the sever of severance? Um, is there any aspect of succession that makes you jealous? Uh, no, I'm going to keep it just to the phenomenon of the show and not to the people inside. This Again, this is not a uh, kaleidoscopic parallax view of, of someplace I want a vacation inside the world of the Roys and you know their 1% privilege. But I mean, I, uh, I respect the people who go crazy for this show and really buy into it. You know, the ones who are hot stoving it when it's not in, se- when it's not in season and the ones who are doing recaps. My friend James Hancock covers this part of his um his geeking channel and it's like one of the few videos i don't watch because i don't kind of want you know like if it's got that kind of guy's enthusiasm then i i want to know why it's so good i want to know why it's bending his um his bald ear along the way but i'm just bending not bending his bald. yeah i'm just not a part of the i'm just not part of, i can't find any uh pleasure or joy from from watching the roy's burn on the world with narcissism and so it's just like i even if i watched it would i want to watch a fucking youtube video or read a vulture recap the next day it's just it, it's not the kind of thing um and actually what i thought of was some people like my wife my wife can't watch larry david because it's just too it's too disturbing that she oh, i find it so annoying so annoying and and our friend nick nadell can't watch any horror because it's too scary and you know there's just quadrants really? there's quadrants of entertainment that some people can't watch because it's like my i get a nervous short circuit like nick is afraid of being jump scared so he doesn't watch that janice really? can't janice can't watch the um you know the nerve hanging of social cues being blown and that makes her so she she starts her skin starts to crawl and i'm a little bit of that with this where it's like after each episode it's like that's almost as much as i could take it's tough to like string these together because the the the, the tide of all this stuff stacked upon itself is just like almost almost taxes my nervous system a little bit uh am i just yeah of course i'm jealous i've talked about this before you know as a kid i dreamed of being an actor and, and you know bill i told you recently i took an acting class yeah, I love it. I got very good grades. I got I, good I, I uh, recommend everybody do it. I think it's a worthwhile. It's it it's up? good for the personal growth. I think right. it's therapeutic. I think it's fun. Uh, yeah, no, right. no reason you should. And I'm and I'm gonna try to do it again this summer. Another one. And in my class, we want to get together and all like out of class now and go karaokeing. I'm hope that happens. But it looks like people are too disorganized. Anyway, uh, so yeah, you know, part of me always wanted to be an actor. Part of me still wants to see, be an actor. So every time I see great acting by great actors in a script and a project that looks like it's fun to sink your acting teeth into i get jealous i'd love to be there i'd love to play uh, who would i play on this show bill uh you're the most like kendall i think yeah i think i'd be a kendall i'd be the big fuck up uh i'm a little too old he turns he has his 40th birthday party in some episode but uh you know I could I could play forty. Could probably play that. Did you um, happen to uh, read that uh, uh, Jeremy Strong? By the way, talk about his method and how obnoxious he is. Jeremy Strong personally petitioned Daniel Day Lewis on the set of a movie he made. I want to say in twenty twelve or so, two thousand nine. He made a movie called The Ballad of Jack and Rose, and he begged Daniel Day Lewis to be his personal assistant through the shoot because he just wanted to apprentice at the foot of a master. And oh, he no, he wanted to be Daniel Day Lewis's personal assistant. Yes, yes, and he I was. I thought he meant. I thought you meant he wanted to Daniel Day Lewis to be his personal. No, assistant. no, okay. he he wanted to like he's an actor at that point, but he actually wanted to take a job that wasn't an actor's job, which is to be the personal right. assistant because he just shadow he just wanted a famous to, method actor. But yes, and that's the thing is like that's where he he was already con, you know committed to doing this, but it really he just said okay, this is the way to do that is what Daniel Day Lewis does. I'm going to imitate, and this is why. Uh, Brian Cox was really completely over his technique. 
just because yeah. he's got over the he's got overboard with it. Where would you place Succession on the Felonian scale? The I don't get it. The pop culture get off my long cast scale of all the topics you talked about in relation to one another on an X Y Z axis. I wanted to zag and zig and not not comp this with a show we've covered before because I think it's there's actually a lot of shows we watched that or I should say a few. Let me know we're we're talking about this before. We went live on the microphones. I think we've since the episode two hundred turned over. We've done twelve no six shows. No, but I but I but Bill, I've I've gone back oh, yeah? to the last ten we've done. In the last year and a half, we've done 10 TV shows. All right, 10 TV. And that's just, we, we've done more than that, but it's like, it, it turns out it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an easy topic. It's low-hanging fruit. It's very topical. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to comp this to a show. I thought of um, something that is very methodical, very well-designed, um, you know, very well done, operating at a high, high piece of art, regarded by a lot of people as, as you know, some of the best of its form. And yet there's something about the central thesis that I just don't find all that appealing. And no matter how much I sampled it, I find that I couldn't get hooked by it. So this reminded me, Noah, of our friend Aziz Ansari. Okay. And master of none. And his comedy, too, yeah. to some degree. Uh, nah, see, his comedy's terrible, but his show was great. That's what I'm saying. The show was great. That's my opinion. Didn't buy into yeah. it, but I appreciate how well it was done. And yes, he earned the plaudits, but I just never, never really bit into it. So I, I kind of, I don't want to say I, I wimped out this week, but I, I kind of made a new scale. I was going to place this on the Felonian axis, but I couldn't. I looked at the last 10 TV shows we talked about. Since July of 2021, we looked at 10 TV shows, and I've ranked them 1 to 10. So I made a new non-Felonian. I don't know where to put this top 10 on the oh, Felonian man. scale. You tell me. So do you want to hear them 1 to 10 or 10 to 1? Best ten, to worst or worst to best? 10 to 1, of course. All right, counting down the top 10. All right, worst to best. Number 10 is Yellowstone, of course, because they're idiots and they think they're better than me. Nine is Sex Life. And by the way, when we get to the top nine, they're all all right. I watched all of Sex Life. I don't know if I'm going to watch a new season because it was well acted and entertaining. Eight is Euphoria, a little like Sex Life, but had a little more to say. Seven is Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Great concept. Eh, delivery. Six is The Sandman. Great concept. Delivery sometimes is awesome, sometimes not that great. Five is Squid Game. And now we're, the top five are all great, great shows. Four is Ted Lasso. Three is The Last of Us. Two is Succession. And one is Better Call Saul. Yeah. Hard to argue with that. Yeah. Hard to argue. So that is the non-Felonian year and a half of TV scale. I tell you That's something. I'm gonna have great to, name. Great I'm, name. I'm going to have to work all weekend with the patent office trying to come up with a name for oh, this yeah. and a place. Totally, We're totally, going to have to yes. buy a parcel down the block. Right. New storage right. unit for all the stuff you're, yes. you're giving, you're putting on me and, now. And I, and I do want to eventually integrate it into the Felonian scale. So we need to get our team of MIT trained physicists on that machine learning to, AI chatbots. Right. There's yes. all this stuff. We we're trying. Our, we're, yes. we're, what we're trying we're to do is our own AI. Yeah. We're trying to streamline labor out and like make it as easy exactly. as possible for us to just right. delegate. See, this. it's going to be a tool. It's not going to replace people's jobs. It's going to be a tool. <laughs> That's what right. saying. That, Good luck, America. Good luck, Earth. As Good luck, my America. paper says closer here, and so I'm going to speak yes. the uh, outgoing indicia because we've reached the end of an episode. Uh, if you want to find past episodes of this show, look on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us, Noah and Bill don't get it at gmail.com if I can elocute per- per- perfectly. Give us a review on the aggregators because that's how people find podcasts. I personally am on Twitter at William Scurry, and I'm always there, man. I'm fun. I'm the guy you always. want to follow. It's it's a hoot and a holler. I'm always putting I can't stuff be- I up. I can't believe Twitter still exists. I can't believe it. I could easily believe it. And YouTube.com I mean, AMC. Right. If you want to see some fun stuff I've made, it's all there. And it's really fun stuff. 
guys. I, I swear. Now here's Noah. Yeah. Noah's gonna give. He's gonna tell you where his what his Tinder account is. Sorry, his grinder. Tinder grinder account. Yeah. Grinder. I've never done grinder. Obvious reasons. Uh, big quiz. Big quiz thing. Check out bigquizthing.com. The finest in corporate and private trivia events nationwide, worldwide for 20 years, and um, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary now, folks. Some videos starring me, some interesting content, and we're currently in the rollout of that on social media. And check them out on bigquizthing.com. Looking back in the very first Big Quizzing event, oh my God, 20 years ago. But were you at the first event? Yeah, I was definitely there. Sure. You one, were at the very first for the event. world, yeah. So until Bill and I fight it out to see who will take over, I don't get it, the pop culture get off our long cast, when we are gone, we, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2023.